0: Hello to anyone and everyone listening. This is the latest edition of the Cats Illustrated podcast. We haven't had an episode in quite some time, but we are likely to post these much more frequently with football season on the horizon with so much basketball and basketball recruiting to talk about, especially the exhibition tour this season and a highly anticipated year for the Cats in 2018-2019. And especially if there's positive feedback and, and the listeners enjoy it, then, then we're likely to do this much more. So please uh, post your feedback, your questions, interact with us, and, and rate us on iTunes once this goes up. I'm your host and publisher, Justin Rowland, and today I'm joined by David Sisk, our basketball recruiting analyst extraordinaire. David, how are you doing, man? I'm
1: doing great. Uh, I'm excited about doing this. Uh, thanks for having me. I love doing this stuff. Love basketball, and uh, I know Kentucky fans uh, just can't get enough of the information. So uh, hopefully, it'll be a good match here.
0: Yeah, this is a good time to introduce David to anybody who hasn't uh, had the pleasure of interacting with him or reading his work on our on our site. Uh, we had a position open, I guess, a few months ago now, and somebody April. yeah, April, and it's been that long, and somebody um, passed him along to us, and and. I wanted to take a chance on him because his background, like so many years coaching and being around the sport, it's really hard to get information on Kentucky basketball recruiting because Calipari staff is notorious for playing things close to the vest and David just has a very unique uh, background and set of connections that allow him to get information that's reliable and from from maybe the kind of angles that are a little bit unconventional for an insider on a a team site like this, but how, how are you liking the work so far?
1: I love it, uh, and I'll be honest with you. It's one of my favorite things that I've ever done. I've always wanted to, to kind of get into um, this side of it, uh, the media side of it, recruiting. Uh, I remember about four years ago uh, when the UYBL tournament was in Lexington, the uh, organization that I used to coach with, the Travelers, was actually putting that tournament on, and I remember going around handing out resumes to Eric Bossie and guys like that, I didn't really realize it would be as hard to get into as what it was. Now, I had a feeling that, you know, that I could do a good job with it. Uh, but it, things have really worked out well. I've been with Rivals now for three years. And like I said, been with you since April. And uh, I'm enjoying every bit of it. And, and I just, Kentucky fans are like me. Uh, they love recruiting. They love good basketball. And, they can't get enough of it. And and I mean, here we are. Everybody else getting ready for college football kickoff. And we're talking uh, recruiting here in the middle of August.
0: Kentucky, no place, no program like it. And I think <laughs> they, right. they do share your passion. And it never dies down. One think Calipari's done, we can argue whether he should have more titles. We can argue whether he's, he's done enough with all of the draft picks. But he has created a 24 7, 365 circus that keeps the program in the spotlight nonstop. And David's a perfect guy. To, uh, to help cover what he's doing off the court and, and gearing up for on the court. So there are several topics that we wanted to touch on today. Um, first off, coming out of the Bahamas, I know, David, you had a chance to, to watch some of the Cats like everybody listening did. What, do you have any – and I know you're posting some of those observations on Twitter and on the site. Um, what were some of the big takeaways that you took from watching this Kentucky team down there in those four exhibition games?
1: I think sometimes it's, it's not easy to tell because of the type of teams that you play, how good's the competition, although I don't think it was terrible. Uh, and, you know, I think Duke will run into some of that this week. I, I think people are going to get really excited when they see Zion Williamson from last night and he put some highlights up and some, you know, dunks and breakaways and, and all that. And, and I just say, okay, hold the phones here a minute. Um, let's see what happens when you go up against competition and the, the other teams are not going to let you do that whenever you want to do it. And it, it's kind of the same way with Kentucky, but I will say this. Uh, it's not going to be as easy as it was last week, but I, I saw a lot of things that I felt were positives. Um, and you can look at each player. Obviously, Ray Travis is going to bring a lot. I look at P.J. Washington and Nick Richards inside. I mean, Nick Richards' numbers, just percentage of shooting were off the charts. And P.J., uh, you know, he made some outside shots. And, you know, he's fully found the area in the high post he's comfortable with. Uh, you look at Kwade uh, Green and Hagans uh, and quickly at the guard spots, the numbers they put up, especially quickly, 18 points two assist. And the way Green can, can guard the ball – Kelton Johnson, you know, he could really be an outstanding player at Kentucky. I look at him in Washington just as two guys that are just athletic have got the total package out on the perimeter. They made threes. Tyler Harrow, uh, you know, we could talk all day about him. You know, they ended up with three or four guys shooting outside really well. And I, I just see this team, I think maybe it has got an edge to it and have got some different players that can carry it each night. Every team that they've had has not necessarily had that in the past. I think that's hurt them. I'll go, for example, I think when Jamal Murray was at at Kentucky, I mean, it was a situation where if he didn't have a big night, they were in trouble. And and I think you could get it from a lot of different places. I think it's a team that defensively – I know Dan Dockage talked about the, the big thing that's hurt them in the past is You know, they can't keep people in front of them. I think this is a team that can do it because I think they've got guys that are are physically tough and athletic who who will pride themselves on doing that. They also knocked down some outside shots, you know, good inside game, good outside game. So I I think there are a lot of uh, positives there that you can build on going into the season.
0: I'm with you. I didn't see any obvious holes or anything that would (laughs) – that would really potentially sabotage a championship run. You think back to the 2010 team with John Wall and Cousins and those guys. The the kryptonite for that team was always we knew that they could have a really poor shooting game, and that's what did them in against West Virginia. I don't kind of like the 2015 team. I hate to even make that comparison. 38 and one. That's a, that's very unlikely, but just how balanced they are, how so many different guys could step up and be the guy any given night. The, the big positive takeaway I came from, from this tournament and why originally I thought they were one of several teams at the top of college basketball, and now I think they're probably the odds-on favorite, is I thought going in, I'm like, okay, this might be Calipari's first team without a lottery pick. So they got a lot of good players, a lot of quality players, but who's the star? I came away from the Bahamas feeling like this is a team full of very good players. Not just a team full of, of solid players, but this is a team full of very good basketball players that complements one another well. The, the only question I have, and you touched on this yourself, is I don't know how good the competition was. I don't think that the run-of-the-mill rotation player on those teams that they were facing is it was really able to stay between their, the Kentucky player they were guarding and the basket, and I think that's going to change they're going to throw some junk defenses, college teams are at them. And the big thing for me is I don't think it was an accurate simulation of what regular season college basketball games are going to look like. There's going to be whistles right and left. There are going to be games where 45, 50 fouls are called. And how is a team going to going to look and how, how efficient are they going to be when the game becomes so grinded out? Is that something that, that you, you're still wondering?
1: Yeah, and, and you know, you you just never know till you get into the games. And really, the the example that I like to use, uh, if you go back twenty five years ago, um, in the early nineties, when Bill Parcells was coaching the Patriots, and I remember there was a Sports Illustrated article back when you couldn't wait for your Sports Illustrated to show up at your house. That was the first thing you read, and there was an article in there about Drew Bledsoe and his relationship with Parcells. And Parcells was actually the you know, the guy who, who groomed him, not Belichick. And uh I remember Parcells saying, I don't want a prima donna quarterback I I don't want a a first-round overall pick, you know, a a Brett Favre or somebody like that. Well, Brett Favre wasn't, obviously, but, you know, he he just didn't want that star quarterback. He said, I want a guy who's been knocked down, who loses a couple games in a row, throws some interceptions, goes through a slump that can get back up. And uh, he said, that's when we find out what they've got. And I think you really have to to kind of look at that when it gets tough. You know, they open up, I think, with Duke. You know, And and when you're playing in Knoxville and you're playing in Auburn and and you're at those difficult places this year and you go in there and, you know, the crowd's rabid. They're obviously going to be loaded up for Kentucky and – You get into the game, and it's just a white knuckler all the way through. It comes down to a one-possession game that your guys can come through and and make a big play, and they have the toughness. They're going to be faced with it. Duke's going to be faced with it. Kansas, whoever. All the big schools, all the big programs are going to be faced with it. And, you know, Zion Williamson being able to get out and break away and, and jump over top the backboard. Is not going to help them in a late game situation. Neither is a, a you know a lob on a fast break from Quade Green to P.J. Washington. You know you're going to have to execute in half court. You're going to have to rebound. Uh, you're going to have to defend. So you know we'll see what happens when those things get on when uh, those things happen and, and they're on the road in a tough situation. But obviously, it's all about players, and you like to have a strong roster going into that. And I feel like uh, this Kentucky team has that strong roster.
0: I think people are going to be surprised at how tough this team is. I talked to, to John Rothstein about, about why he ranked Kentucky 6th nationally, why he ranked them, most surprisingly to a lot of Kentucky fans, 3rd in the SEC behind Tennessee and Auburn. And I told him, number one, I could see Tennessee and Auburn finishing like 14-4 and, and and ahead of a 13-5 and five Kentucky team because of the youth, because they're maybe more known as a commodity – I would have weighted Kentucky's championship potential, which I think is far superior to those other two teams, and I don't think that I'm just overestimating program stature in that. I just think that they're more cut out to win a championship. They probably have better players top to bottom. But but the other thing, what he said is, he he thinks this is a different kind of Calipari team because they've got that three-headed point guard situation, Emmanuel Quickly and Ashton Hagens and Quade Green, and he thinks that's unique for Cal. They usually, he said... He's usually had Derrick Rose, John Wall, Brandon Knight, Tyler Ulis, um, De'Aaron Fox, and and not knowing who the guy is going to be handling the ball in those pressure pack situations. He said when it's 60 to 60 down in Starkville, um, that was his one concern after the Bahamas, or one question after the Bahamas. I, I think I think Calipari has had teams like that. I think he he took teams to two consecutive Final Fours with Andrew Harrison running the point and you know, he certainly wasn't what you would consider a great college point guard. Marcus Teague certainly didn't have a a great freshman season as part of the 2012 national championship team. But I, you know, I just have a hard time not putting this team at number one. And I know it's, it's hard to judge all the teams before we've seen anything, but where where do you think would be a fair ranking for this team going into the season?
1: I, I want to say this by the way, um, You uh, made the point, and I was going to bring up about Rothstein here. The One thing, and I'm not going to say I disagreed with him, and it had to do with point guards uh, when he brought this up. He said that he, you know, I kind of took it from what he said that he didn't expect one of the guys, the point guard, to step up and be a big-time player. But, man, if I'm in Las Vegas and I'm playing odds, okay, let's take a look. You've got quite a green, five star. Ranked number 22 in the class of 17. You've got uh, Ashton Hagens, five star, ranked number 33 in the class of 18. And you've got Emmanuel Quickly, five star, also was ranked number 22, but in the class of 2018. By the way, Quickly was ranked the fifth best point guard in his class. Hagens didn't get that ranking because obviously we're classified and came up. But he would have to be one of the top two or three point guards in his class considered uh, the same way with a So, I mean, you had top five point guards, five-star players. I would think with three guys there, one of those guys, at least one is going to step out and be a tremendous point guard for them. I, I, I just don't see – to me, it would be a major letdown if it didn't happen because you've got three guys – who were tremendous prospects coming in, five stars, All-Americans. So for one not to step up, to me, would be totally against the green. Uh, Having said all that, I mean, I I look at this team, I don't think there's any doubt that it's a top-five team starting out. Uh, And I realize Tennessee and Auburn, and and you could look at the NCAA, or the SEC, rather, and, I, you know, I, I can see if somebody picks Kentucky third, okay. All right, I don't think they're going to be third, but uh, I don't think they'll be that low. But if you pick them third, okay, I can't see them sixth. Okay. <laughs> who, the, who the other teams are going to jump yeah. ahead of them? I don't yeah. see it. Yeah. So, but, but obviously the top three, I think nationally, and I'm kind of like the same way. I think if you have freshman a freshman team a one and done team that steps up and win the national championship you've got to have some guys who can really step up i I always think about anthony davis and uh this may be an arguing point a lot of people may not agree with me i still think anthony davis is the best player i've ever seen in kentucky uniform and uh You know, you've just got to have a guy like that as a freshman. So I want to see either that or or one of these guys or sophomores or, you know, your your transfer from Stanford, uh, Ray Travis is going to have to step up. But somebody, you've got to have a guy, though. We talked about different players stepping up, but you've got to have a guy night in and night out that can kind of take over. And I think that's – I think if they can find one or two of those, if it's a P.J. Washington, uh, I think a lot of people look at it, think maybe it's a Keldon Johnson, maybe hero, who knows. So, you know, if you can find that guy, then their stock goes up. I'm not seeing enough of these teams on the other side. Really, to make a prediction, yeah, of exactly where I'd put them, but I, I think they're definitely top five.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, and that, I think that's a that's a good conservative mm-hmm. prediction. I will say, I think some people out there going on year ten for Calipari have a little bit of preseason Kentucky fatigue where Kentucky's in the top five every single year to start the season because of the talent, and I get that because we don't know what these teams are going to look like and and why not err on the side of putting the most talented team or one of the two most talented teams at the top and they might have felt burned some of those years when Kentucky loses more regular season games than they expected them to I, I'm pretty conservative by nature when i make these predictions. I picked the last two Kentucky teams to finish in the Sweet 16 and and took some criticism for that, and they finished in the Elite Eight and the Sweet 16. I'm picking this team to win the national championship just because I, they've got the intangibles and the balance beyond the talent as well as more experience than most Calipari teams have. want to make a couple other points. Number one, the point guard. Who's going to be the point guard? I don't think it's that big of a question. Like, we know a Green is... From last year, and from what I've seen so far, he's gonna thrive more playing off the ball, letting others set him up for spot ups, uh, thriving in that transition game. I just don't think he's quite he's quite gonna dominate the ball as as well. And Calipari knows that. I think quickly is the guy from from the look test that I saw, just because you gotta have somebody. At, in the middle of it with so many pieces, you gotta have the engine. and I think quickly is the one who looked the most comfortable running the offense, who made the best decisions in terms of pace and tempo. And, and I'm not saying he's he's Tyler Eulis, but he's that kind of decision maker. I don't think he's that kind of passer yet, but I think he's that kind of decision maker. the The big question for me is, I think Ashton Hagens, along with Keldon Johnson, is the biggest X factor on this team. I look at two guys, Hagens and Johnson, as these are the two guys that have the potential to break out and become better than than we realize they can be because they've got the raw talent, explosiveness, different players. But but I, I think Hagens and Keldon Johnson are the two players, the two freshmen who could grow the most over the course of the season. Do you think that that's fair?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think Keldon Johnson's just got that look. Uh, you know, he is just—he's got the body, he's got the frame, and when I watch him, you know, at the last two games, now, I think he's a little bit, a kind of a set shot. Uh, now I know he shoots a jumper, but he winds it up. It's slow. It's not one that he can get off. I don't think with somebody on him. So he's got to get that thing quicker. And he's still got a couple of months to work on it. And I think, he, he obviously, he knows that. Calipari, they know that. They know what they have to work on. So I think they will. Uh, but I, I just look at him and, uh, you know, you see these guys when they walk in the gym and you man, that's like a different looking cat right there. Yeah. And, and he, kind of, he kind of fits that bill. Uh, I think, like you said, I think Hagan's too because Hagan's, it puts a different type of tone and a different type of athleticism. I mean, all three of these guards, point guards, are athletic. Uh, I think Kwatee showed some to me some improvements from last year. I like quickly setting the table, but he still shot thirty percent. he was seven for twenty-three from the field. Yeah, he was two for eight from three, twenty-five percent. I mean, you can't go. He, he's he's going to have to make shots. You can't win a national title, I don't think, and you got to be very lucky if you do, if you've got somebody on the court out there that's dead weight because they just won't guard him. When he makes the first pass, they just won't guard him. And um, I, I think, obviously, they've got to have somebody in every position. Now, if, if they've got guys all over the floor that can just light you up, and I'd it, say – Till Johnson just goes off and Harrow goes off and Nick Richards plays like he did and PJ Washington plays like he did. And, and they've got guys that's just unguardable out there all over the floor. Then you can great; he can set the table, but uh, I, I'm kind of with you, man. I, I just think I just look from an athletic standpoint, which you have to have that. I, I'm, I agree that Johnson and, uh, and, uh, Higgins. God, I grew up yeah. can, uh, uh, I think athletically they're on another level. Yeah, Hagen's just the raw
0: tools, like I, I don't know, I don't think we know how good he can be. I don't think it, he knows how good he can be. He looks like somebody who should still be in high school, and he should
1: still be in high school. Um, I'll say this one yeah. thing about Hagen's. You know, he's shot where he could get into the lane. He's got different kind of shots. He's got the floater. He's got the mid-range. He gets to the rim. He only had two three-point attempts in four games. So that worries me a little bit. He didn't hit either one of them. So I think the scouting report, once people start looking at him, is if he can't make an outside shot, you know, they people are gonna play off of him. They're gonna gap him. They're gonna go under ball screens or the point go, or under a ball screens uh, underneath. Dare him to shoot the three. Uh, teams will make adjustments. Uh, you know, if he could make the outside shot, then it becomes very tough. Because let's face it, today's game, everything's set up off the ball screen. and point guard's got to be able to do that. And um, so that may be one thing we may want to look at, too. Who is the best that can come off that ball screen and initiate the offense? You know, Hagen's has got the quickness to do it, but he's kind of like uh, uh, quickly there. They've got to be able to shoot the ball. I mean, if you look at the three in the Bahamas, I mean, Quade was easily the best shooter, 48% from the field. Now, his threes still weren't great, 33%, but, you know, he was the best shooter at the three. And we know uh, We know. What, and, we know. still got a ways to go.
0: Yeah, and we know what kind of shooter Quade is. That This is the first time that I've actually thought about this, and it's kind of going against the grain because everybody remembers last year's team was the first team in ages not to go a game and not hit a three-pointer, and shooting was such a problem last year. Everybody's like, whoa, this is a much better shooting team. I think it's I think it's important to point out the only two players that I'm confident are going to be able to consistently knock down long-range shots are Quad A. Green and Tyler Hero. I, th- I think – I want to make – Yeah. Go ahead, go, sorry, I th- go ahead. I think Keldon Johnson hit some. P.J. Washington hit some. We know Reed Travis can hit them. Uh, quickly hit a couple – but I don't. I don't think there are as many proven three point shooters, and, and maybe Jamal Baker, who didn't play in the Bahamas, uh, that opens the door for him. But I also think this team is going to play at a much faster tempo, and they're gonna. They look like a good ball movement team, so I think they're going to be getting good looks most of the season.
1: Two points that I want to make here, though, I, I still think you've got to be able to shoot the ball. Uh, uh, and I know, uh, you know, when you guard, you get out and transition. That could make up for a lot of that. But eventually, you're going to get into the NCAA tournament. The game's going to get bogged down. Teams are going to guard well. You're going to get into a half-court pace, and you've got to make the shot. Uh, I mean, Villanova proved that last year. Uh, so they've got to have – Somebody that can step up and knock those down, and more obviously more than one, but they've got to have people make those shots. One thing I've said, and I say it a lot, and when people ask me questions on the board about recruiting, I feel like a lot of times when you get one and dones you get let me tell you how guys you say, What's the difference of five star and four star? A five star can make a play athletically that a four star can't make. I mean, if you look at uh, Zion Williamson right now is a five star because he can touch the top of the backboard and hit his head on the rim and everything else, and, that's, and his body, and that's what people look at. But these, they look different, or they're, they're better athletically. But what happens is they're judged on down the road on potential. A player is not picked number one by rivals or any other organization because they think that he can be the best freshman in college. If he's going to play one and done, he'll be the best freshman. It's not who's going to be the best pro. That's what they look at. That's how it's judged. Now, here's the question. Once that happens, you see a lot of guys who have got the bodies, they've got the athleticism, they've got the length, and their skill is not there. And unfortunately, the college programs, the Kentuckys or whoever, they don't get to see that and reap those rewards. It's three or four years on down the road where they see, hey, the skill catches up with a body and they turn into being an unguardable player. I'll do an example. I think James McDaniels is right there. I think he's a guy like that. I saw uh, uh, recently a mock draft that's got him number one, but right now his, his, his strength and shooting and all that stuff, it, it's got a way to go, but you can see his frame. So I think that's one thing that they look at. So you've got to be aware when you have a lot of one and dones, sometimes you struggle on the end of skill. You've got all the athleticism, the size, you don't have the skill. The other thing, uh, I'm looking, I know Dan Dockett was talking about the roster at he liked when they really spread the floor and went to one post, they had four out. But when they did that, I noticed a lot, if they posted up PJ or they posted up Reed Travis, they had Nick Richards playing on the outside. And They are chasing Nick Richards around behind the three. Teams are not going to guard Nick Richards behind the three-point line. They're going to sag in, they're going to help in the post. So, you know, I've always kind of wanted to see, you know, Kentucky go to more of the four out, where they've got perimeter players who could really shoot the ball at a post inside. But you've got to ask yourself, okay, they got to go with one big. I don't know that they could play Nick Richards inside, and, and maybe they could play P.J. Washington outside. But do they play off him? Would he be a shooting liability? I mean, we've got to see. But, you know, it it I really think – they want to look to see from last week what kind, they play two posts, they play one post, who do they play outside, who gives them the best unit and what they want to do. But I still think, I look at it and I say I hope they can find a pure perimeter rotation if they do want to go four out where you have to respect all four players from the perimeter.
0: Yeah, and and Calipari has said he wants to get back to more dribble drive with this team, and that that would some of his better Memphis teams they would go with the one big and the three the three or four guys who can take you off the dribble from the perimeter. It's going to be very interesting to see, and and I have no clue how the lineups are going to shake out. Nick Nick Richards another X factor. If Nick Richards played like he did in the Bahamas the rest of the season, you're not going to be able to keep him off the court much. But and, and I've taken some heat for saying this. He played at a high level early last year. My question with Nick Richards is not what best case Nick Richards looks like. It's what is he how does he respond when he's had a couple of bad games and 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 he struggled? How does he how does he bounce back? and I do not I d I don't I don't know how it's gonna shake out, but I do like the makeup of this team. David, I wanted to switch to recruiting, switch gears for a second, and I saw something that caught my eye. I think it's NBADraft.net has Khalil yeah. Whitney ranked as the number three projected pick in the in the 2020 NBA draft. Now, that's, that's so much projection, and it's so far off. It's not worth anything. But I think it speaks to the fact that there are some people out there, when they look at his ranking, and they look at how he's... The theory that I've had is he started out like unranked. He wasn't even ranked... Not long ago, and he went up, 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 and now I think we got him in like the top twenty-five or so. If we just did a complete rankings reset and we didn't know anything about where these guys had been ranked three months ago, do you think Whitney would be like a top five, top ten kind of guy, or or do you? I mean, what what was your response when you saw people think think of him as like a top three potential pick?
1: Well, I'm I'm gonna be honest when I said I was surprised when I saw a top three. And I'm sitting here looking at the mock draft right now, and I see uh, – uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce the last name. i got to get a little bit more familiar with it, but our our readers will know who we're talking about. But but Oscar, you know, the other post. Like Shebway, uh, yeah. Yeah, that uh, is, is number 20 on that list. So they've got him top 20. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was, but, you know, you see – things from him in July, you know, where he really added a perimeter game, and he's got that body and frame and physicality, and he's such a competitor. Uh, You know, he's got that in him. Uh, You know, so I I don't know to put a number on it. I mean, I would just really have to sit down and do the math, but I don't think, I believe there's no doubt that he's not going to start out as, you know, in April, he's going to be ranked number 72 which is what he was, that's not going to happen. But, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt you look at him. I think he's going to get higher, everybody tells me. I mean, he's at least a top 15, top 20, and maybe a top 10 player. Now, you get up to number three, and they're willing, uh, obviously, to take a risk there. And, by the way, that draft site is NBADraft.net. I've got some friends who work in the NBA, who who scout. And uh, Jonathan Giovanni, at ESPN is really the guy that that they uh, they swear by. And I've been trying to, to find some mock drafts of him. And if anybody that's listing on our board can find one, I, I, I'd like to see where he has Khalil in his two thousand and twenty mock draft. But you know, Khalil's just gonna trend up. Like I said, I think he's twenty three now and He's going to finish higher than that. I wouldn't be surprised to see him finish top 15, maybe even top 10 uh, this spring when when Rivals puts out its final rankings.
0: The interesting thing about that draft, everybody, everybody, myself included, saw Khalil Whitney at number three and our eyes just bugged out. But they also have Tyrese Maxey at number seven which is higher than you would think based on his ranking right now in the recruiting world. they got Keldon Johnson at 27, and I don't think he's going to be around in the 2020 draft. I think Keldon could well be a first-round pick next year. They've got Quickly 29, Ashton Hagen's 35, I think Hagen's might be a better NBA prospect long-term than Quickly, even if I like Quickly running the team this year. And they've got Nick Richards at 38. And, again, I'm not sure if Richards is going to be around for a junior year. Guys return for their sophomore year at Kentucky, returning for that junior year, uh, doesn't often happen. So, for everybody freaking out saying Calipari's not getting these top five players, um he's gonna he's gonna be sending a lot of guys to the league over the next couple of classes oh tell me tell me about Whitney I you can build a franchise around a six seven, 200 pound guy who's a great athlete plays with a great motor that's kind of like almost your championship bread and butter kind of player in the league now but what kind of shooter is he can he do how, how good can he be shooting the basketball beyond the athleticism beyond the motor offensively how skilled can he be
1: that's how he jumped from number 72 to number 23. Uh, his ability to shoot the basketball and step out and knock down shots. It's gotten much better. And here's the thing. He's still got, before he steps on the floor in a Kentucky uniform, I mean, he's still got basically, what, 14, 15 months uh, to still work on his game. And you think how much he progressed – in the last couple of months and got better at that, how much better, you know, he can get. You know, I used to be a believer that when a kid turned 16 years old, if he couldn't shoot the ball yet, he didn't have a shot for him, you couldn't make him a shooter. But, you know, that, I, I was proven wrong on that one. I mean, you could go, you know, go back as far as Jason Kidd and just look at how guys, you know, it might not have been the best form that you ever seen, but he's third all time in the NBA and made threes. So guys can really, resurrect that part of their game, uh, and get better. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be exciting to watch him in the Kentucky uniform. And I, I, one thing I'm looking at too with his body, he probably can't because he's so thick, but could he get out and guarded too and play it too? I don't know that a guy at that size that plays the three, if he's going to be drafted that high, I think the guys, and, and I talked about a while ago about how they draft on potential. I, if you'll I, I, Notice this. I don't know if you paid attention to it or not, but if you take a guy that's six three, six four, 6'4", and he's a wing, and you take another guy that's 6'9", or 6'8", let's say, and is a wing, and let's say right now the 6'3 guy can play circles around him, The 6'8 guy is still going to be ranked higher, and he's going to be drafted higher because they see all that length and they see that potential. Well, Khalil Whitney, 6'7", long arm. I think his length is 7'3", and he's got that big frame, uh, big body, muscled up, strong. You know, if he proves that he's got the quickness and he can go out he can knock down some jumpers and he can play the two, guard the two, and play the two, uh, did, yeah, I could see him uh, being drafted that high if he can do these other things. Because I mean, he's certainly got God's gift yeah. on him. When you talk about you know, he's been blessed with with, with his size, length, frame, athleticism. I mean, he he checks all the boxes when you look at that.
0: One of the things I don't think Calipari has gotten enough credit for is in recruiting, not just getting the top-level guys, but he seems to be ahead of the curve more often than not in identifying that next-level guy who's who's hitting his stride. And it looks and like
1: he's doing he's, it right now. He's yeah. doing it right
0: now. Yeah, he's doing it with Maxie. He's doing it with Whitney. It looks like he's ahead of the curve again. And so his eye for well, talent, if, yeah. If
1: you look, if you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but if you look right now at the guys... Okay, and I know it's quiet right now. I think he's on vacation, you know, but I think in another two or three weeks, it's really going to pick back up, and now it's probably a little lull. But if you look at the guys, you talk about Oscar. uh, I mean, nobody ever heard of him a couple of months ago. West Virginia really liked him. and Everybody I've talked to around that program that knows West Virginia, they say he's cut out of the cloth you know, of a player that Bob Huggins wants to coach.
0: Right. And
1: that's enough said. Just, just to, you know, just uh, rips your soul out out there. And, and that's the kind of – so, but if you take a guy like that who's really just kind of blows up out of nowhere, I mean, if, if you take a look, uh, they kind of backed off and backed off and backed off on guys like Kofi Cockburn and just kind of waiting to see what happens. So a lot of these guys that are going to be in the mix – that are still left in these 2019 class and will be around are, are just kind of guys who have just kind of waited on, they've waited on, and they've not been to Wiseman's, they've not been to Carey's or to Brian Antoine's or, or whoever that's been there from day one. There's guys that we've we just kind of watched and watched and watched and all of a sudden are good enough to get a Kentucky offer.
0: Yeah, I wanted to shift gears one last time before we wrap up, and we want to do this much more often, so I don't want to drag it on too long. But I got to talk about Wiseman and Carey right now. You know, I love Corey Evans, and Corey Evans has burst on the scene and has really become a power a power guy in this recruiting world. He's a heavyweight already. I did see him say recently. He still said it's hard to see UK striking out on Wiseman and Carey, but I've got to say, you're the expert here. You and Corey are the experts. <laughs> we trouble. I, I could absolutely see Kentucky striking out on Wiseman and Carey. I mean, but from where I'm sitting, and maybe I'm reading the tea leaves wrong, I would say Memphis has a great shot at Wiseman, and I don't think Carey is going to Kentucky unless something really happens there, and you see Calipari casting the wider net. These, this is a big deal for the next year, because I think it's likely Kentucky loses three of its top four big men. It's more likely they lose all four than it is they only lose two, in my mind. So, what, what what do you think about this idea? They might strike out on Wiseman and Carey, and, and what? How do you think they could compensate for that? Um, with, with with the guys that we heard, Kofi Cockburn and some others, um, they they got to fill that front court out.
1: Yeah, uh, I would look at uh, I'd look at it this way. Uh, what are the odds that they get both players, Wiseman and Carey? Uh, probably next to zero. I wouldn't look for that. Uh, what are the odds they get one of them? Well, I would say, I don't know, maybe about uh, maybe uh, 40%, 35%, 40%. I think Wiseman is right now, is if he's not 50-50, you might lean a little bit toward Memphis, but it's still very close. But things have kind of trended that way lately. Kentucky fans just on Wiseman, they need just some kind of good news on Wiseman anything that'll make them think, okay, we got back into the hunt. Because, you know, whether it has anything to do with his recruitment or not, staying at Memphis East, you know, playing with Mike Miller's cousin after the Bluff City Legends season was over, just, you know, there, there's, there's just been things, three or four things that we could go on that have kind of trended that way. Uh, I talked to, uh, talk to Corey a lot, and, and Corey did on his Tuesday mailbag a, I believe it was Tuesday mailbag did a story uh, or a little bit uh, in there to ask about Kerry And he said, look, he said, Kentucky's got a, you know, they've got a chance. They're in the top five. He said, but I would say it's Duke and Michigan state. And there was a rumor out there that Kentucky might've gotten in the lead for Kerry And his words will made he said that, that it's not true. He said, I talked to him yesterday. That's not true. One thing he did say, I think was interesting. Duke, has been considered to be in a lead for carry now for a long, long time. And trust me, Duke has been pushing him for a commitment, and they've never gotten it. So I don't know what you make out of that. That would worry me some if I was Duke. And he thinks because of that, you know, that gives the five teams, uh, um, Michigan State, uh, North Carolina, Duke, Miami, and Kentucky, that gives them all a shot outside of Duke to get him. He thinks Michigan State's in real good shape. Of course, he's from Miami. His dad played football there. Um, so, but but he feels like that gives Kentucky a shot. Uh, so, you know, the odds about not getting either one, you know, uh, that would be up there too. So, you know, they've got their work to do. So you start looking down the list. And, uh, of course, you, we talk about Kofi Cottonberg, but another guy here – and I just happened to be looking at the, the mock draft, the same one we talked about. A. Hans number 10 in the 2020 draft. That's another guy right there. He came from Ireland. He had some offers. but and I remember when he broke out in Indianapolis at the Under Armour event uh, when they were playing Jamal Mashburn Jr., everybody was there to see Brian Antoine and Scotty Lewis. And here's this post that really not a lot of people knew, and he was dunking it on anybody who was breathing. I mean, every time he got the ball, he was looking for somebody to flush it on. And so you've got those guys uh, who are, are you know are great prospects, are great physically, and Kentucky's just kind of weighing it out uh, to see what happens. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think they'll be okay. I think they'll end up with some guys. It may not be uh, Wiseman or Carey. You may get one of them. I don't think you get both. But I think that you still got a lot of really good prospects out there and just kind of waiting to see what happens.
0: David, appreciate your insight. You have – Endeared yourself to a whole lot of Kentucky fans in a short period of time. That's a testament to what you've what you've done and who you are. We covered a lot of ground today. This has emboldened me to make the podcast a much more central part of what we're doing. And the great thing about Kentucky basketball is whether you're talking about a team with like nine or ten guys that we don't really know anything about, and 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 so so many topics to discuss. And and recruiting is always going to be a circus with Calipari. We're going to have plenty to talk about. So I hope you're going to be a regular on this for us.
1: Well, I was going to say, I'm going to put you on the spot publicly. I, I know that, because uh, I I had kind of questioned you about it, and I thought about maybe if you didn't, maybe trying to get something started, and then you're like, hey, what about uh, 3 o'clock tomorrow? <laughs> yep. So I was like, wow, man, that's pretty quick. So, But uh, I, I would, like I said, I'll put you on the spot publicly. I like to do one every week. Uh, I know that's probably going to be hard with football coming on, but. Uh, you know, I, I, I would like to do these, uh, and, you know, our fan base, people that read our stuff, they're great, the contributors are great, and give us feedback on the board about what you think, if it's something you like, uh, you know, and, and any, you know, anything you agree with, talking points out of this, criticism, you know, I love it, so, um, you know, the the more the merrier.
0: Their people are gonna have something to say. I mean, I'll, I'll write five thousand oh, yeah. words yeah, on a message. I'll write great. five thousand words on a message board post or in a story. And Kentucky basketball fans, everyone is an expert, so they're gonna pick out the one or the two things that that were stupid that I shouldn't have said. So I know that they're gonna have a lot to say. So David, let's do it every week. I think we should never have a shortage of anything to talk about. And you know, a lot you're of situations on. you're on. you're staying on top of. So I appreciate that, Justin Rowland, David Sis, Cats Illustrated Podcast. Look for it in iTunes. Tell your friends, listen, we're out.